0: for those of you that are going to be staying with us in this class, 2 Corinthians 13, and let's go ahead and bow our heads together and begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you this morning. What a privilege it is to sing these songs and uh, to, to know, to have that experience that love has indeed lifted us. Amen. And Father, we thank you for, uh, before you lifted us, you had to reach way down to, to find us, and thank you for doing so. Please help us as we go through these Verses today speak to our hearts. Please have your hand upon the kids and help them to learn, get them well established in the faith as they grow up. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right. All right, right, Second Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to begin at verse number, I'm going to start reading at verse 5 just to get the context, but then we're going to pick it up in verse 8. Brother, I think if you could turn it on just a little bit, I, I, I hear it as a, a ring. Second Corinthians thirteen and verse five. Paul writes here, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. All of this we have covered. Verse 8. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Now that verse will apply to any truth, not just the one that Paul is dealing with in the passage, but truth in general. They say facts are stubborn things, right? I mean, a fact is a fact. You, you can accept it. You can deny it. You can try to work your way around it, but it remains a fact no matter what you do with it. In the passage, the fact or the truth that they're denying is that Paul is an apostle of God, that he has been chosen and ordained of God to go preach the gospel. They were trying to deny that fact based on Paul's weakness the, and, and the rudeness of speech, his, his unpolished way of speaking, his weak physical appearance. And they said that that means you're disqualified as an apostle. You can't possibly be used of God in that condition. And. Paul is saying you guys can come up with whatever excuse you want for rejecting me as an apostle, but facts are stubborn things. The fact remains, Jesus did save me. He did call me. He did put me into the ministry. So you can do with that fact whatever you want. You can go to another church. You can write articles against the Apostle Paul. You can publish books on why Paul's not an apostle. The fact remains, he's an apostle. Now, as I said, this applies to facts across the board. Brother, I'm so sorry. Can you turn it down again? I don't know if it snuck back up. Maybe I'm getting louder one or the other. But in the day and age in which we live, facts have become almost irrelevant in some portions of society. I heard recently... I can't believe this. Two plus two does not equal four. I never thought I'd live to see the day. Two plus two does not equal four. Now, here's the reasoning for it. I'm so sorry. We're all out of place this morning. Garrett, can somebody just shut those doors? Thanks. I'm so sorry, guys. So two plus two does not equal four. I read that in a... It was a book written by an atheist. He's a scientist from the University of the Bahamas, which I wouldn't mind going there. (laughs) But he, he wrote this book, 13 Weird Things About Science, and he had some very interesting insight on a few topics. But he said 2 plus 2 may not necessarily equal 4. It could equal 4.00002. And he said, therefore, it's not exactly 4. Well, huh? then it's not 2 plus 2. Yeah. Then it's 2 plus mean 2. <laughs> that's, that's how math works. Numbers are very stubborn Math is very straightforward. Now, that was that guy trying to give that rounded figure. But I heard in the news just a few weeks ago, I saw it. They said two plus two equals four is a racist statement. I kid you not that it's racist to say two plus. How did social politics of skin color enter into the mathematics classroom? That makes absolutely no sense. Now, you can put on the racist glasses all you want and look at the world as if everything has been influenced by racism. But that doesn't change the fact that two plus two is still four. <laughs> all day long, every country of the world, whatever language you speak, whatever home yeah. you grew up in, it doesn't matter what happened to you when you were young. It doesn't matter who your parents are. Two plus two is four. it's, full right? it's four. They say, well, that was that truth was established under white regimes and white men running schools and opening schools. They're the ones that said two plus two. They're the ones that wrote it on the board because they realized it was true, that it was a universal truth. Right. It doesn't matter who presented it in a book or built a school based on those facts. It's a fact. It's a fact. I'll tell you another fact that's listen. This is just a fact. It's just true. A boy is a boy. Right? A boy's a boy. You say, but I don't feel like a boy. Well, sir, I'm sorry, but you're still a boy. <laughs> a girl's a girl. All day long, that's how it goes. That's just, you can say, well, I, you know, I feel different. I, I want to change that. You were born that way. That's just nature dictated that. Yeah. Now, you can deny that fact all you want. You can try to force the rest of society to conform to whatever reality you are living in. And say, well, I, I think you should call me with, you know, the other genders pronouns. But that doesn't change the fact that we are doing, we're doing that against nature. Yeah. Against nature right. If you're a boy, you say, call me a girl, call me a she. And we do that. We say, madam, to a boy, then yeah. you are asking all of society to corrupt good sense. <laughs> that doesn't change the truth that you're a boy or that you're a girl, whatever gender you were born with. That, it doesn't change that. Matter of fact, when you say things like two plus two equals five, what that does is causes investigation, right? Because people that can count will start to look into that and go, why would you say that? And when we get to the bottom of it, we will find out once again that the truth is two plus two equals four. And you see, you can't do anything against the truth. At the end of the day, you're simply going to magnify the truth once again. And that's what they've done with the apostle Paul. They said, he's not a real apostle. So what did that do? The Corinthian church now launched an investigation. Let's look into the facts. Why do you think Paul is an apostle? Why do you think he's not one? And at the end of the day, what did they come out with? Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus. Look at the massive change in his life. Look at how God has used him in all these other areas. And when all the facts were laid on the table, they had to admit, yes, there's every reason to believe that he is a genuine apostle. Even when they tabled the concern about his weakness, Paul answered that and said, guys, the Jesus whom you received as your savior was crucified through weakness. So if, if your argument is that I'm weak and therefore I can't be used of God, what about Jesus? Are you not also disqualifying him with your logic? And with that, the mouths of the gainsayers were stopped. They couldn't answer back to that. So he says, guys, you can continue on down this path. All you're going to do is magnify the truth more and more. You can do nothing against the truth, only for the truth. Now, verse number 9, it says here, For we are glad when we are weak. You see, that was the point he was directly dealing with there. For we are glad when we are weak, and ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. It says, guys, if you want to accuse me, of weakness and you want to think that that's a problem. And if you have it in your minds that we are strong and stable Christians, great. I hope that you are. We wish that. That is exactly what we want. But furthermore, says it's not just strong and it's certainly not the Corinthians version of strong. We want you to be completed. Perfection. You see that at the end of the verse. This also we wish even your perfection. So you Corinthians, maybe you've figured a couple things out, but you still have room to grow. There's still progress to be made. And that's what Paul is hoping for. Moms and dads in the room, I'm sure you can agree to this. If we have to suffer a little bit so that our kids can have a stable, uh, optimistic future, that they can grow, they can go on, they can be used of God, they can do something for their families, for society. You don't mind suffering a little bit for that, do you? Right. Staying up a little late. You don't, mind, you don't even mind if, if your kids, if they have to question a few of the things you say, if they have to do that so that they can learn the truth. Because I think, let's, let's be honest, everybody needs that opportunity at some point to say why. Don't kids love to ask that? Why? Moms and dads, please don't be scared of that. that that's healthy. That's healthy. That's healthy. They come and say, why it's really not a good thing to do to say, well, because I said so, because that's not going to help them down the road. Now, I, I know. Listen, if it's a rule that you put in the house, then it's because you said so. Right. If that's your rule, then that that might be the answer. But when they come and say, why do we do this or that? Why does society work this way? Why do why does the church work this way? You don't just say because we said so. Give them a good answer. Answer those questions as to as to why. Now. In the moment, you might think that they're being rebellious and that they think they have it all figured out. Maybe that is what they're thinking. I think Paul's words would, be, would apply. Listen, the teenager thinks you're weak. They think they're strong. Do you see it in verse 9? We're glad when we are weak. That's what they thought about Paul. Was Paul truly weak? Well, physically, yes, but not as a man of God. He wasn't weak, but the Corinthians thought he was. He said, listen, if that's how you want to look at this, you think we're weak, Paul and his traveling companions, if that's what you think, and you think you're strong, well then good. I'm, I'm glad that you're growing, but guys, what we're wishing is that you get it all rounded out, that you get the whole picture and don't just stop with, well, we know this, that one other thing. Let's get the whole thing. I want to speak to you just for a moment about this topic of perfection. Um, Get your Bibles to a few places. uh, Colossians chapter 1. Let's start there. Colossians 1. I do not think that we should try to stop critical thinking. If someone wants to examine something and look into it and find out why is this right, that's that's not a sign of rebellion. That's a sign of of growth. It's a sign that they want to learn. We should not be threatened by such critical thinking. Somebody comes even in the church. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? We, We should invite that honest inquiry. If we have the truth, what are they going to do to hurt us? They can't hurt us. If it's true, then the truth will prevail. Right? If what we 're doing is right, and we can support it from the Bible, then we 're not afraid of honest inquiry. Now listen, if somebody 's just being ugly and trying to be mean and rude that 's another story. but if they 're honestly looking into it because they have questions, then by all means, answering those questions is going to help them grow and that 's what paul 's actually complimenting them here. You guys think it 's this way, and you 've been critical about it good i 'm glad you looked into it i 'm glad you brought up your concerns. But let's get the whole picture. Let's get com- all, all the components. Colossians 1.28, he says, Whom we preach, of course, speaking about Jesus, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's goal. When he stands before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, he wanted to be able to present all of the people that God put under his authority in those churches and say, Lord, I did my best to help that person grow and become more like you. That was the goal. Now, with that singular goal in mind, right, that helps us also orient ourselves in in life, not just the Christian life, but in life. That's the ultimate goal, not just to get one or two things right. But to get every part of my life as close to the image of Christ as I possibly can be. So that perfection, not in the sense that you never mess up. Please take that out of your mind. Because the idea that you'll never mess up, that's too high of an expectation. You will live in constant regret and sorrow and conviction. And that's not the will of God for anybody. But the idea of constantly striving towards that. Even when you make a mistake, say, okay, well, I'll learn from that and keep... Pressing on. That is attainable. That is something that you can achieve. Uh, Take your Bible, look at 1 Corinthians 2. So the ultimate goal, perfection. Let's break that down even further. What do we mean by this? 1 Corinthians 2 verse 6. There are two different ways that Paul uses the word perfect in the New Testament. The word itself means complete. But he applies it to two different aspects here. Verse six, First Corinthians two six, Paul says, "Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught." And then he goes on speaking about wisdom and how it applies to the mystery of God and so forth. I want you to focus in on the first part of verse six. We speak wisdom among them that are perfect. He's talking to this same Corinthian crowd. And he says, I am talking to people that are perfect. Now, what does he mean? Does he mean sinless? I'm talking to people that never make a mistake and are always right. Could he mean that? No. no. Obviously not. That, just, that doesn't apply to any human. Right? Okay. Does it mean that these Corinthians are completely 100% conformed to the image of Christ? They have no room left to grow. They've got it figured out. No. Again, that would kind of move into that sinless category. That's not what he's talking about. Later on, he says, I wish your perfection. So that's not the type of perfection here. Look at verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, he's telling them, guys, we've started. Well, I've given you Christ. I've given you the cross. I've taught you that. But there's still more to be done. Flip your uh, maybe you may not have to turn the page. But chapter three, look at chapter three, verse one. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Did they still have room to grow? Yeah. But did he call them perfect? Yes. So what? in what sense is he talking perfect here? Well, they have started well. They heard truth. They heard Christ and him crucified. They're not getting the wisdom of the world. They're getting the wisdom of God. They have both natures. They have both the carnal nature, the outer man. We all have that. We're born with that. But they, because they're saved, they have the Spirit of God living inside. They have that new man living within. That's as much as you can have. So when we're talking about the outward and the inward man, that's complete. If somebody is not saved, all they have is the sinful, carnal nature of the outward man. They do not have the Spirit of God within. They are incomplete. They are dead unto God. See, so And you can see this as we go on through the passage a little bit more. Verse... Uh, Well, where can we start it? Verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. So if all you have is the spirit of a man, and you don't have the spirit of God, there are certain things you will not be able to understand. They won't make sense, because you're incomplete. So verse 14, just to move forward a little bit. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So the man who is perfect has both the spirit of a man, human nature, and the spirit of God. They have that new nature. So in one sense, anybody here today, if you're saved, you are perfect. that that. We definitely need to explain that a little bit. You are perfect in that you have both natures and you can't add a third nature. There is no more to add to that. That's the whole show in that story, right? In that context. Now, another way that it's used come to Philippians chapter three. And in Philippians three, we actually have both uses of the word perfect in this passage. <clears throat> Philippians three. Let's begin reading in verse number 12. Philippians 3 and 12. Paul says here, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. What's he saying? The job's not done yet. I'm not there yet. In the verse before, he speaks about the resurrection. So he hasn't attained to that. We're not there yet. In the resurrection, right, the job is completely finished. Then even our bodies are changed we have that, that glorified body that is, shares all the characteristics of Christ's resurrection body. It can't get any better for that for us. That's as perfect as it gets. So Paul's acknowledging that. Not as though I'd already attained, either we're already perfect. But I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I want to get a hold of why Christ got a hold of me. Why, what was the purpose of Jesus coming into my life? Why did he enter in? To change me, to become more like him? Because he and the Father have the best relationship that the universe has ever heard of. Is that right? Yeah, they do. Read John 17. They, that, that is, that is the, origin, the origin story of love. Have you ever thought about this? God is love. You've heard that one before, yeah. right? God is love. Really? Well, then that means God has to be at least, there has to be at least a duality in the Godhead. Now, we know there's a a triality. (laughs) I don't know if that's a word. I just made that up. There has to be at least three, right, that we know of, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because love is something you have to show to someone else, right? If it's just him, say he's loving himself, how does he show that to himself? That would be complicated. There, there needs to be somebody else there for, to know all that there is to know about love, right? Because if you only have yourself and you're just loving yourself, you don't know love completely. If love is going to be known in its complete sense, there has to be somebody else there to love, which means from the get-go there was Father, there was Son, there was Holy Spirit as it's been revealed. All right, now how would I get off on that? Anyway, back to this. He says, I want to get apprehended for, why, for the reason that Jesus apprehended me. Jesus apprehended me to conform me to his image so that I can have fellowship with God. Because the the father and the son, perfect fellowship, perfect love. Now the son wants me to experience that. He says here, now you want to have that closeness with the father? You need to become like me. That is our created purpose. That is what was messed up in the garden. Adam and Eve had that. When they ate the fruit, they lost that. Jesus came to restore that. And Paul says, I want to keep pressing towards that, that perfect fellowship with God. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see the expectation that he has for himself, the goal in this in this life. The goal is not to get it all figured out. No one's going to do that in this life. The goal is to keep pressing that way. To keep trying. When you get knocked down, you get back up and you keep pressing on. The Bible says in Proverbs, the just man falls seven times and rises up again. Now now listen to God's expectation in that. God doesn't say the just man never falls. So quit being so hard on yourself. Man, I'm trying, but I keep messing up. That just proves you're human. It doesn't make you a failure. Paul said there are some things you just got to leave that in the past and press on. He says in verse 15, let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Now, isn't that ironic? In verse 12, we are not perfect yet. Verse 15, as many as are perfect. <laughs> well, now, which is it, Paul? Are you perfect? or Are you not? You saw it in 1 Corinthians, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians 2. Some people he referred to them as perfect. In When we're talking about having the two natures, yes, that's complete. Can't add to it. But now if you want to switch the story and start talking about being conformed to the image of Christ and having all of the characteristics that he has, you want to know another way to think of this, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. What we're doing is basically explaining Christ. So what is the fruit of the Spirit? If... if the Holy Spirit is in control of your life, you're going to start acting like Christ. That's going to show forth. Well, nobody's there yet, not completely. Right? The goal is to keep pressing towards that. So, verse 12, we're not there yet, keep pressing on. Verse 15, if you have both natures, then let this be your frame of mind. Do you see how verse 15 works? So let us therefore as many as be perfect. So if you're saved, you have both natures. You need to have this frame of mind as you approach life. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. God will bring you back in line with that ultimate goal. If you think, no, the chief purpose of life is to do this, is to have a great career or have a lot of kids or have a lot of money or whatever you want to put it as the ultimate goal. If if you're saved, God will constantly bring you back to that Ultimate purpose. How many of you remember this verse? Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good to them that love God. Right now, that's the part of the verse that most people quote. How does it finish? To them who are the called according to his purpose. So you say, I, I, don't, I don't see that verse working in my life. All things work together for good. I, not everything is working that good for me. I don't think the Bible's right. How can that be true? My life just stinks. Everything just keeps falling apart and going bad. Maybe you got the wrong goal. Maybe you're trying to achieve the wrong purpose. And those detours and roadblocks and problems and potholes just scattered throughout your life are meant to bring you back in line with God's purpose. And that's what he refers to as good. All things work together for good. Not, not your definition of good. God's definition. God's definition. What would be a good life in God's eyes? Having perfect fellowship with Him, drawing nigh to Him, enjoying Him, living life the way He would prescribe, right? That, that's the, the, the purpose, the goal. All right, uh, we'll get Romans 12. Let's, one other thing on this topic of perfection. Romans 12, verse 2. Paul says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, remember in Philippians 3, we just saw that verse where Paul says, If ye be otherwise minded. I right? He's talking about that, that frame of mind, that mindset that you have in life. Philippians 2, Paul said it like this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that conforming to his image in that? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You need to think like he did. Now, how did Jesus think when he was down here? What was his frame of mind? What was his mindset? He said in John chapter 5, verse 30, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will. But the will of the Father that sent me. Well, how did he approach life? I'm going to live it the way God says. If he tells me to say it, I'll say it. If he tells me to do it, I'll do it. He says, go there, I'll go there. That's how Jesus approached life. Now, Paul says that same mind, let that be in you. Be not conformed to this world. Don't try to think like them. Be be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think like Christ. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and... Perfect will of God. Say, I want to I want to get the whole thing right. I want to get I want to have a complete life. I want to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, everything I did, I did it in line with you. How do I do that? Think like Him. Think like Christ. And when that thinking like Christ sets into your life, you will be doing the will of God. So it is synonymous to say conforming to the image of Christ is doing the will of God. Those two things will always go together. Always. I want to know the will of God for my life. The ultimate goal, the ultimate task, become like Christ. Now, apply that to your marriage, your workplace, your relationships, your friends, your hobbies, the things you do on the internet, the things you do with your phone, the, thing, the way you interact with people on the road, all of it. Apply it to your driving. Every. Yeah, we. we <laughs> Did you mention that the other day about, about about traffic laws and stuff? Yeah, that wasn't nice. <laughs> he was right, but it wasn't nice. <laughs> Apply to everything, and and it will always steer you correct every single time. All right, so that's perfection. Now let's come back to Second uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen. So Paul says, that's what I wish for you. Paul understands that that's not going to happen overnight. As a pastor, that's what I desire to see for everybody that comes through our church. But I also have to understand that's not going to happen right away. There are going to be some growing pains. And in order to reach that, we're going to have some Corinthian moments. Does that make sense? You know what I mean by that? There's going to be some times you go, I don't get it. Why did that happen? You may not go full Corinthian because some of them were just living in open sin, right? But there's going to be some times you go, I, why do we do it this way? Why do we do it that way? And questions get raised and that's okay. That's perfectly fine. I don't want to stop that. I want to use that as part of your growing. Verse 10, he says, he moves into a different, um, different point now in his outline here. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given to me to edification and not to destruction. Paul says, guys, because I have this desire for you, I want to see you completely grown, spiritually mature. I, I want to help you. That's the edification of verse 10. God has given me authority to say certain things to you to help you. Now, he could use sharpness. And we've talked about this uh, several times before. It's all through chapter 10, 11, 12, and now 13. Paul says, I could be very to the point. I could cut you deep. But I'm rather trying the gentle, softer approach. I'm writing this letter, just letting you know, guys, you're a little off balance here. You're way out of whack here. Watch out for this. Get these things right. He's hoping that they read the letter and go, you know what? Paul's got a point. And Paul's being... He's been a blessing to us. God certainly has used him. Yeah, let, let's get these things right. Let's apologize to Paul. Let's, let's make it right. If they don't, then Paul is reissuing his warning. I will show up and I will use sharpness. And I'll hit the nail on the head and it'll hurt pretty bad. But I'm going to do that because I want to help you. And as I've mentioned before, I'll say it again. I think it's worth repeating. This is a great example for how you deal with problems in any relationship. Right? As much as you can, try the soft approach. Speak gentle to folks. Be meek. Be humble about it. Just go in and say, listen, I, what you've said is, is hurting me. And uh, I, think we could, I think we need to discuss this and, and, and calmly, see? And, to, and, and be easy about it. And drop, drop that hint. Maybe just that subtle, soft hint that person will pick up on it and go, ah, you know what? Yeah, that, that's right. Let, let me get this thing fixed up. Now, eventually, if they're not getting it and they keep hurting you and they're starting to hurt others, you, you need some sharpness if they're not getting the message. So eventually you might have to get to that point. I remember years ago I was sitting at an Outback Steakhouse. Have any of you heard of that place, Outback Steakhouse? In America, they're all over the place. It's an Australian themed steakhouse. So you can eat a bloomin' onion Got this massive uh, anyway. I, I, let me not get into, get everybody hungry here this morning. That's not the point, right? I'm here to feed you, not get you hungry. Anyway, Bread and Outback Steakhouse. I'm with a friend of mine, Mike Cahill. And uh boy, that guy's a blessing. Great blessing. And <clears throat> so Mike and I were sitting there having fellowship, and our wives are also chatting at the table. And in the process of conversation, I'm not, I'm just talking, right? Relaxed. I use the phrase, holy cow. I don't know why that phrase all, you know, from time to time it just kind of pops up in my mind. And holy cow. Cows are not holy. Mm. Right? That's Hinduism. <laughs> holy cow. That's, that's Exodus 32. Make the golden calf. <laughs> it's paganism, isn't it? Cows are not holy. <laughs> Even Yella Buddha mensa. No, no, no. Cows are not holy. <laughs> cows are not holy. Right? Now, I, just, he was saying something, and as he's telling this incredible story, because he had incredible stories. He was, he's an airline captain, and every year he would visit Israel, right? He'd have all these free miles as so being a captain. He'd visit Israel and pass out 10, 20,000 gospel tracts in Israel, undercover. I mean, it was Great stories, And he'd tell this amazing story and I go, oh man, holy cow. And he would then, his countenance would drop and he'd say, you know, God's holiness is just an amazing thing. And you think about how holy God is. I sure wouldn't want to, I, I wouldn't want to compare anything with God's holiness. That's all he'd say. And I go, yeah, amen, brother, amen. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, listen, I did not even know Why he said that. In my mind, I kid you not, I'm sitting there with this lecker Breiflace in front of me and the blooming onion. And I'm thinking, this great fellowship. And why did he say that? He had this great story. And then he starts preaching about the holiness of God. That that did not fit in the conversation at all. But I shrugged it off and thought, you know, he was very nice about it. He didn't look upset. And he goes on into another story. And I could have sat there for hours listening to these stories. And he tells the story, and then I get to, you know, at the end, and I give my reaction, my very spiritual preacher-like reaction. I go, man, holy cow. And he said, brother, let me tell you about the holiness of God. <laughs> man, it is something. I'd never want to compare anything. <laughs> I kid you not. That, we went through that cycle at least three or four times at that dinner. And never once did it dawn on me. He's saying that because I just called a cow hold To me, it's just an innocent little phrase. I really don't mean to say that I'm worshiping cows. And I don't think that, you know, 99% of the people that use that phrase do not mean it in a worship the cow way. But it it bothered Brother Mike and and it didn't sit well with him. So he gently and very smartly, I say, rebuked me. But I didn't pick up on it. I'm not joking. It was at least six months, if not longer. I'm... I'm far away from Brother Mike. I'm in another place. I'm sitting there off by myself, and it hit me right then. You know, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will bring things to your remembrance, and right then it dawned. On, I went, "Oh, that's why He kept saying that." I kept saying, "Holy cow!" I get it. I get it. So to this day, I've no God knows. I've probably messed up. Sorry, Lord. Sorry, Mike. Wherever you're at. <laughs> I've probably messed up, but I've tried to be cautious about using the word holy in the wrong context. Because he, he does have a valid point. The holiness of God is something you don't want to share with anything else. So I've tried to be careful about my words and, and choose them carefully. <laughs> now that was him, right? How did Paul say it? He was he was not using sharpness. He could have flat out rebuked me at the table and said, Brother Mike, listen, what you're saying is highly offensive. Are you trying to blaspheme God? He could have just nailed me. And it would have been very awkward and I wouldn't have enjoyed the dry place after that. And it it probably would have been a, a little point of contention between him and I. Because even though he has a point, did he really have to slam me that hard? I would have then felt, man, you must not really be interested in our friendship you're interested just in being right. And you're just waiting for an opportunity to pound me with this little truth that you have. That's probably how I would have received it. But the way he did it, it took a while. I'm a little slow, but the truth eventually sunk in and our friendship stayed intact. Now listen, if you can do it that way, do it that way. You know what I like to do? Whenever I know of a problem in somebody's heart or their life, I pray about it. God, please help them. I do not. I never have and I never, by God's grace, I'll never do this. I do not sit down and go, I know so-and-so has this problem. Let me put a sermon together that will help. That, that's just rude and unethical and non-spiritual, right? I'm not being led by the Spirit of God. I'm being yeah, led by, yeah, yeah. by, by my right. own concern at best or my own pity or a pathetic, you know, a, a petty that's nature point, right? at, at worst. I don't want to do that but I do pray God let something in the preaching minister to that person. And I can't tell you the number of times somebody has and it takes weeks and months, right? It takes time. But eventually they'll come and say this in the sermon, that in the sermon helped and the problem gets resolved. I never had to approach them. I didn't have to sit them down in that very awkward way and say listen, what you're doing is hurting people. What you're doing is wrong. Now if they are actually hurting people, and causing people to you know, leave the church or to go away from God, then I need to step in immediately. But if the problem's not that bad, I try to deal gently, softly. I, I know that in the process of preaching, eventually we're going to say something. Something from the Bible is going to touch on what they're doing. I want to let the Lord, I want to let His Word, I want to let the Holy Spirit straighten that out. Right? I-, I-, I don't want to get to the point of having to use sharpness, but I will. I will. Moms and dads, have you experienced this in your homes? Right? Booty sissy makes some mistakes. Listen, we can look past quite a few things. Love covereth a multitude of sins. But when the that little boy, that little girl in the home start causing everybody else in the home to be miserable and it's ongoing, and there's no hope in sight of that stopping, you gotta say something. You gotta sit him down and say, Booty sissy, this stops now. This behavior is going to destroy you and others. It's got to stop now. So we, I think this, there's a great lesson in this, whether you're a parent, whether you're a pastor, just dealing with your friends and coworkers and classmates, whatever the case is, this process is going to help you out. Now, Paul says, I have power from the Lord for edification, not for destruction. Whenever you do approach somebody and you say, listen, I, what you've said was hurtful, what you're doing is wrong. Make sure that when you say those things, To correct them, you're trying to help them. You're not just trying to make them feel bad. Be careful here because the the human tendency is you made me feel bad. So now I'm going to get you back. And I don't care if it helps you. I don't care if it hurts you. I'm just going to say it so that I feel better. Right? And we vent. That's not help. Even though you might be right. Even though they were wrong and, and you're right. They shouldn't have done that. But now you're saying this out of spite. It's coming from a very... I want to say hurtful place. Be careful that you're saying this with the right motives and right intentions. All right, verse 11, we'll finish up here. He says, finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Now, we've already discussed that, so no need for further explanation. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. What would comfort these believers? They're going to face persecution. They need to know that it's worth it. All the troubles you're going to go through because of your faith, are going to be, it's going to be worth it. So one day you're going to stand before the Lord. One day the Lord will come back and call you home. So Paul says this in First Thessalonians, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with, a, with a, a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So that comfort that we have as Christians is knowing that all the labor, all the toil, all the troubles, tribulation, persecution, it's all worth it. In the end, we will not have wasted our time. And that's greatly comforting. Now, that's the long version of comfort. The short version is the comforter has come. Right? Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and he is right there living within us. So we can be of not good, but even great comfort because he's right there saying, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Each step of the way, I'm going to help you with this. That's a great comfort. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Now, actually, we've already discussed this today, haven't we? Right? We talked about having the, the mind of Christ and so forth. So we've already spoken a little bit about this. But having that one mindset, one frame of mind as you go through life, if we're all on the same page as to what the goal is, it's going to increase our unity, isn't it? In order for this to happen, we have to have the same final authority. Because you might in your mind say, well, I think Jesus is like this. And the next guy comes and says, yeah, but I think Jesus is like that. Have you noticed this maybe in conversations? Somebody will emphasize one characteristic of Christ. Yeah, but Jesus, you know, he put that whip together and he whipped those people and ran them out of the temple. They like that part of Jesus. So what do they do? Build a whip and they go around just whacking people. You know, but I'm like Jesus. Yeah, but like one one-hundredth. <laughs> yeah, and then you get the other guy that says, yeah, but Jesus was very meek and mild. You know, he brought the little children unto him. And, you know, that side. And that's all they want. We, we need a final authority that tells us what Jesus is like completely. Now, that final authority we have is the Word of God. The preserved scripture that we have. If that's the final authority, that's going to keep all of us in one frame of mind. Working it towards one goal. And then he says next, live in peace. Man, the world could use that. Live in peace. How do you do that? Again, I've actually mentioned it a little bit today already. Let me just summarize it now. There might be some things that other people are doing that bother you. Okay, no, no, no. I'm sorry. That was wrong. There are things that other people are doing that bother you. If you can overlook it, do so. If it is going to stop the ability of you two having fellowship, deal with it. Does that, does that make sense? Is that general enough? I, I think that's general enough. If you can overlook it. See, I just don't like that about them. Okay? Let it be. Let it be. You say, but what they're doing is wrong or sinful. It may not be your place to step in and fix that. Let the right person step in and fix that. You might need to tell the right person, hey, your son, your daughter is doing this or that. You step in where you're not welcome, boy, you create chaos and war instead of peace. Live in peace. Handle things properly, appropriately, and patiently. You need a bucket load of patience if you're going to live in peace. But see how much you can put up with from other people. Because no doubt people are putting up with a lot of stuff from you as well. And then finally he says, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. So attempting to do these things, these are broad categories he's given us, right? Be perfect, be of good comfort, one mind, live in peace, massive, broad categories. But if you strive towards those things, you not only will have good fellowship with each other, but good fellowship with God. The God of love and peace shall be with you. So I think this is a great place to stop. Gives us a lot to work on for the week to come, yeah, to strive towards those things. All right, let's all stand if you would. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at these truths this morning. As we started off uh, the class, we looked at verse 8. Nothing can be done against the truth but for the truth. Lord, help us this week as we go about our business to adorn the truth. to, To make it available to people. Not make it difficult for people to find. Help us to live by it. Please bless the service to come. Lord, we want the God of love and of peace to be with us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.